Welcome to the Link to Prevention podcast hosted by the KSARC Prevention Team. In previous episodes, we focused our discussions on the lessons we teach middle school students, which were centered around friendships, boundaries, and consent around borrowing something or knocking on a door. Today, we're going to shift and discuss conversations we're having in high schools, which means we teach more specifically about dating relationships, gender-based violence, and sexual assault. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the lessons we give to high school students about handling disclosures of sexual assault and how to support friends who come to you and disclose. We make sure school staff are familiar with this information as well. Hey, everybody. So, yes, today's topic is how to be a supportive friend. How to respond when somebody tells you something hard, something really heavy. How do you handle a disclosure? And today we are specifically talking about how do you handle a disclosure of sexual abuse? We know that disclosures can be a tricky thing. Jessica, you as a legal advocate, Hannah, you and I as therapists, even as professionals who handle disclosures on a routine basis, they're not always easy. And when we're talking with students and we're talking about them handling disclosures of their friends, we know how hard that can be, which is one of the reasons why we want to share this with students. So before we get into what we share with students about handling disclosures of their friends, let's talk about disclosures. Hannah, Jessica, uh, from your perspective, why do people feel the need to disclose uh, an experience of abuse? It can be a variety of different reasons, and everyone's going to disclose at a different time to a different person for a different reason. Sometimes those disclosures will just be to open up and to have somebody to process with, and maybe you've never told anybody before, and then you really just need some support. But there are a variety of different reasons why people can do that, and it's not always as simple as I need support and therefore I'm going to tell somebody about it. Yeah, I think sometimes we see people disclose because they're trying to build connection with people and build relationships with people like I need you to know who I am and so that's why I'm telling you this information I want to see how you'll respond to me sharing this information like maybe this is something that this person has worked through and they just want you to know so sometimes also uh disclosing can look like something that has built up for a really 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 long time that this person has been thinking about and worrying about and talking about to themselves for a really long time and they haven't been able to tell anybody and then you're just the person in the room the moment that it just all spills out. We often talk about sexual assault being a crime that is largely underreported, undisclosed to law enforcement. And we know that for men, sexual assault and sexual abuse is undisclosed at even greater rates than it is for the rest of the population. Why? Can disclosure be so hard, not just for men, but for everyone? Why is disclosure hard? Why is telling somebody sensitive information, especially around sexual assault, why can that be hard for people? Number one, we're going to go through some some common responses and some reasons why it's hard, but it's so vulnerable. You're trusting somebody with something really hard that happened to you that you're still trying to deal with and maybe process yourself. And being that vulnerable with somebody else opens you up to potentially more harm and to somebody not believing you, not trusting you, and not supporting you. So I think 
number one is just how hard it is to be vulnerable with somebody about something so hard and says a lot in some cases says a lot about that person who you're disclosing to and and can show and might show that you do trust them at least a little bit and enough to tell them hey this really really hard thing happened to me uh and and I really would like to talk to you about it which just says all the more reason why it's so important for us to be having these conversations with students and with people generally about how to handle it when when somebody does open up uh what you said something about common responses tell me how or what are common responses uh to sexual assault and how do common responses play into somebody's ability or inability to disclose their experience. These are things that we mentioned as common things that victims will be feeling or could be feeling, but we also make it clear that each person is different. The way that this appears, um, the way that this plays out for different people is different, and not every sexual assault victim will experience all of these things. One common response that we see is the feeling of betrayal, and that is because we know that a uh, majority of sexual assaults are committed by people that that victim has a relationship with, someone that they trust, someone that they know, someone that they've let into their lives. A majority of sexual assaults aren't committed by strangers. And so when somebody that you trusted, that you liked, that you loved, take advantage of you or betray that trust, then a common reaction is, of course, that feeling of betrayal. Another common response is powerlessness. So... We know sexual assault, sexual abuse, it's a crime of power and control. So victims will oftentimes feel that their agency, that their power, their control over what happened to them was completely lost and taken. And they feel powerless to what happened and sometimes also to what to do going forward, who to get support from, how to get that support, even just what they need and what happened at all. Another common response that we see is shame. And that is this person internalizing what has happened to them and judging themselves. Um, and that shame can be reinforced by the people around them, but it is a lot of negative self-talk. If I hadn't done this, if I hadn't gone to with this person, if I hadn't been at this party, then this wouldn't have happened and that I did something to bring this on myself. It can be one of the largest reasons that people remain silent is because if if I'm already saying that this was my fault and that all of these things happened because of something that I did, then of course that's what somebody else is going to say. So when you are talking about common responses in high school with high school students, you are going through all three of these common responses. Is that right? Yes. And these common responses are important to learn because of the way we instruct people on how to respond to assault. So once you lay out for students these common responses, what do you do? What's the follow-up conversation then? Because it's one thing to know that these are common responses. Then what do you tell students to do? How do they respond when somebody comes with this information or comes with these responses? So at this point in the lesson is when we transition into talking about how to handle a disclosure, like you said, Chris, and how to support a friend who comes to you with something like this that has happened or is exhibiting these responses after an assault. And we use another trusty acronym, as we like to, at KSARC, and that acronym is BASER, B-A-S-E-R. And BASER is essentially a universal precaution 
and way to explain and emphasize to people what are the most important things that you can do if your friend, a family member up here, somebody comes to you and discloses or makes a disclosure. What should you do? What should you try to remember in handling that situation? So we start with B, which stands for believe. This idea of coming from a place and starting from a place of believing is something that we emphasize and that we think is very important to start with. We we often tell students that uh, it is not their job to investigate this. It's They're not detectives. They're not trying to find evidence or proof that they should believe this person, that they are just starting from a place of believing and starting from believing really begins to counteract those common reactions that we talked about. So the feeling of betrayal or the feeling of shame. A lot of times they are expecting people not to believe them. They're expecting people to question them um, because that's kind of what they've been wrestling with themselves. So starting from a place of believing directly counteracts those feelings of betrayal and shame. A stands for affirm. And what affirm means is that you are affirming for that person who disclosed to you that it is not their fault. And that can be by simply saying, it wasn't your fault. What happened to you? And expressing gratitude and thanking them for telling you and sharing that with you by saying, thank you so much for opening up to me. It wasn't your fault. You came to the right person. I'm really glad that you trusted me with telling me this. So the really important piece, though, is making sure to affirm to that person that it wasn't their fault that affirmation is going to counteract those feelings of shame and betrayal as well. S is for support. This is the idea that you are taking that person's lead in what kind of support they need. That can look like even asking them, what do you need me to do? Like, do you just need me to hear you? Do you want me to help you problem solve? Or like, do you want me to help you go talk to somebody else about this? Like, what do you need from me? And that support piece really starts to help counteract that powerlessness and also that betrayal piece, right? Like you're not just taking this information and going off and doing whatever you want with it. You're not taking the story from that person. You are listening to them, you're asking them what they need, and then you're following that to the best of your ability. Really closely tied into support is empower. So E in BASER stands for empower, which similarly to what Jessica was just saying about supporting someone means that you are following that person's lead. You are allowing them to take back some agency and control and take back some power over what happened to them and what they can do about it and how they can heal and move forward. So empowering that person to decide what they want to do, if anything, and let them know that you're going to be supporting them no matter what decision they make and empowering them to make whatever that decision is, which of course is a direct counter to the feeling of powerlessness that is so common for those who've experienced sexual assault. The last letter is refer. As much as the B-A-S-E-R focused on that person disclosing, as much as we're trying to do what's best for them, I think it's also important to remember that sometimes we don't have to hold everything that people give us and we don't have to be the best person to support this person. So referring is what's best for them sometimes and it's what's best for whoever's hearing this information. And referring can look different for different people. And it's kind of the last piece that we mention because while it is important to include, it doesn't always have to 
look the same. It doesn't always have to be included. And it is oftentimes for the person receiving the information as much as it, as it is for the person giving the information. Definitely. And then we just talked to students about who and where they can refer their friend to. And of course, we share our resources here at KSARC, um, and we provide the number for our 24-hour resource line. They can look like referring your friend to other peers or other friends who they also maybe feel safe disclosing and talking to. Refer can also, of course, look like talking to trusted adults in your life. So parents, right? Talking to you all, um, talking to teachers, coaches, counselors. So we have this conversation with students of giving them this model and these resources for handling disclosures and supporting friends, while also being really upfront with the fact that sometimes you'll be in over your head and that's okay. And referring your friend to an adult might be the best option. So we also, of course, encourage students to reach out to adults in their lives if they want to do that and feel safe doing that. And within that conversation, we also mention mandatory reporting. We explain to students that staff at their school, teachers, counselors, coaches, us uh, as prevention specialists at KSARC, and most any other adult who has interactions with kids and adolescents are going to be something called mandated reporters, which means that by law, it is their duty to report to CPS, Child Protective Services, when they hear that a child or teen is being harmed, abused, neglected, or has been harmed, abused, or neglected. And we explain this so that they can better understand what it might look like if they do decide that they want to talk to a teacher or a counselor, somebody at their school. So we are not trying to dissuade them from talking to adults at all. We, of course, encourage them to talk to whoever they feel will best support them. And we also just want to be really honest with students of what potential consequences could come from opening up about being sexually assaulted with somebody who's a mandatory reporter. I know that the two of you have these conversations and part of these conversations is when do you get an adult involved? Because sometimes these students are wrestling with experiences and situations that are really heavy. And so what do, what do these students understand about the decision-making process they go through when trying to decide if they need to get an adult involved, especially if their friend is telling them, don't tell anyone, don't tell an adult, I don't want my parents to know. What do you suggest telling students then? Yeah, I think that that is a question that we pretty regularly get asked, especially when we talk about supporting and empowering that person to let them make the decisions about what kind of support they need. Almost every time we get asked like, well, what if they tell me not to tell anybody? It's a valid question. It's a valid concern. When we talk to students about it, we specifically say that like, if you believe that your friend is still being hurt, if you believe that your friend is going to hurt themselves, or if you believe that your friend is going to hurt somebody else, then that is bigger than what a adolescent should be dealing with. And so it is important to, at that point, 
encourage your friend to get somebody involved. We try to keep Baser in mind as much as we can, even in circumstances of mandatory reporting or under circumstances like this where it might be too much for this person and that either you are going to let this person know about all the different people that they could potentially talk to or you're going to tell them like, hey, I think we should go talk to somebody about this. I will go with you. Well, so that like they're still involved in that process as much as possible. You're not going behind their back and talking to somebody and sharing their story without them being present. And that is something that even mandatory reporters can do, right? Even if something that you're required to do by law that this person may not want you to do, you can still make it clear to them that they can be present while you are doing that, while you are sharing that. One of the reasons why we are reaching kids with this information is because there is data out there. We have our personal experiences as advocates, as therapists, that informs us that when something bad or scary or confusing is happening to a kiddo, an adolescent, we know that generally the very first person they will go and talk to about is not a trusted adult or a parent. It's a peer. It's another friend. It's an adolescent. So this is the reason why this information is so important to get into the hands of kids and not just adults, because it is the kids who are serving as the true first responders to their friends and trying to help another kid sort out these really big questions. What happened? What do I do next? Who do I tell? What am I supposed to do? So we know that, yes, it's important for adults to get this information. Adults are mandatory reporters, get disclosures all the time. But it is our other, it's the kids, it is the students, it is the peers who are receiving disclosures from their friends. And they need to know how to do it right. Because we also know that not handling a disclosure well can lead to a whole host of problems. One of them being, it may be the last time that person ever discloses that experience to another person. If when they decide that, that person that they have told, that person that they tell doesn't believe them, questions their experience, blames them, it very well could be the last time they tell anyone. We also know that if they don't tell anyone else, they may never get the help they need to recover. So handling a disclosure in that most beneficial way can actually facilitate healing for somebody. And if we know that it's going to be the peers who are handling this disclosures, they should have the skills to be able to do it. Something else that we also mentioned, though, to students is that BASER and this process is going to look different every single time, depending on who it is that they're talking to and depending on what that person needs. Because I think, Chris, what you're saying can feel like a lot of pressure. And so we try to make it clear that like you're going to mess up. You are not going to do this right every single time. But if you are coming from a place of caring about that person and wanting to support them and wanting what's best for them, I think that that is something that they will see and that this is something that you can hopefully continue to follow up on. So we often mention, I think when we talked about consent, we, we make it very clear that like when you talk about consent, you need to have all the fries, right? When we talk about BASER and our acronyms that we love, 
we let students know that you don't have to do all of these things every single time. You don't have to check off each letter as you're talking to this person and make sure that you're saying exactly the right thing. Sometimes you might just be telling this person, that sucks. Like, oh, wow, that is terrible that that happened to you. I'm so sorry. And that's all that you're doing at that moment. Um, and then later on, if they talk about it more or you want to ask them how they're doing or if they want to talk further about what it is that they shared with you, then you might be able to bring in support or empowerment. Or it might just be more believing and affirming, depending on what that person needs. We, we try to take some of that pressure off and just say that if you remember that this is not about you or your feelings, that this is about that other person and what they're telling you, and to focus on that and to believe them and to tell them that you're sorry, I mean, that is some of the most important things that you can do for that person. And that probably won't lead to these negative outcomes. But one final thing, uh, and this is for parents. Sometimes your kiddo will come to you and disclose information about something their friend has told them, something their friend is going through. And you as a parent are now hearing this sort of third hand. What do you do with that information? Well, you can still follow BASER in most of those instances, you know, even if it isn't the person who was directly harmed or impacted coming to you, you can absolutely still believe, affirm, support, empower, and refer that supporter. You know, if, if your kid is trying to support their friend, they're coming to you for support uh, because they trust you and they, they want to hear from you. They maybe aren't sure what to do and have questions and want to hear what you think, if you're going to believe what they're saying. So still following BASER as best you can and still centering, of course, the experience of your kid, their friend, and making sure that above all else, you're, you're listening and supporting them because they came to you for a reason. And also, of course, just taking a deep breath. Because it's never easy, even if this isn't a direct disclosure, to hear about somebody who has been harmed, especially somebody that you know. Well, I think that's really good advice. And maybe just a tack on for parents also, that we know the disclosures can be hard because a lot of times we know both parties. We know the person who did the harm and we know the person who's harmed. So as a parent, again... I would say it's also important for you to remain as neutral as possible, not let your emotion dominate the, the conversation or the situation in that moment. Yes, once your child leaves the room, you can have a freak out moment and be angry and be upset, but not doing that in front of your child because we also want your child to continue to tell you these things, to come to you when they have things that are bothering them. And sometimes those really big emotional reactions can actually shut kids down. So keep the freak out moment in private. Uh, allow that, allow your child to keep telling you all the important things that they need to tell you. And then you as an adult can decide what best next steps need to be taken. Until next time, stay curious, be kind, and take care. Find out more about the services offered and to stay up to date on everything that prevention is doing, 
check us out online at ksark.org. That's K-C-S-A-R-C.org. This podcast was funded in part by a grant awarded by the Department of Justice. Points of view in this podcast are those of the author and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of the Department of Justice. Grants funded are administered by the Office of Firearm Safety and Violence Prevention under the Public Safety Unit at the Washington State Department of Commerce.